0: This is Perspectives on Justice. We look at the most current and controversial issues in the U.S. justice system. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams, Jr., and I invite you to join me in exploring how the scales of justice are balanced, criminally, socially, and ethically. You are listening to Perspectives on Justice. Welcome, and thank you for joining me for a new episode of Perspectives on Justice. As the school year winds down, many parents are reflecting on how their sons and daughters dealt with remote learning or hybrid models of learning. They ask the question, uh, is your child prepared to move on to the next grade? Or does your child's current school have the proper resources to meet their learning needs? If you can tell by now, today we are talking about educational equity. If you've never heard of that term, educational equity is achieved when all students receive the resources they need so they are prepared for success. Most of us remember the 1954 landmark Supreme Court decision of Brown versus the Board of Education, where the justices ruled that the idea of separate but equal has no place in education. Public schools needed to be integrated and open to all children. It was a major victory for the Civil Rights Movement in 1954. Now fast forward more than 65 years later and schools and school systems across the country are tackling this notion of equity. Lawmakers and education policy advocates are taking on equity issues in education systems across the country, including right here in Maryland. In March, 2021, the blueprint for Merlin's future was passed. If you are unfamiliar with this latest enactment, that is the historic education equity legislation that includes recommendations from the current Commission report. Today, I have a panel of guests joining me to talk about equity and education equity. I have, first of all, uh, Dr. Alvin Thornton, the former chair of the Prince George's County Public School Board of Education, and the chair of the 2002 Commission on Education, Finance, Equity, and Excellence, which took on the name the Thornton Commission. We also have two distinguished elected officials in Maryland. First of all, we have Maryland uh, State Delegate Elizabeth Susie Proctor, and we also have with us today Curtis Valentine, who is a Prince George's County Board of Education board member. We're so happy to have all three of you here today, and I'm so excited with this great show on education equity. So let's start off. uh, I'm going to ask each of you, the three of you, to take a couple of minutes and introduce yourselves and tell us about your interest in educational equity. Dr. Thornton, let's start off with you, sir.
1: Well, thank you, first of all, for uh, letting me join my two colleagues, um, Delegate Proctor and uh, board member colleague, former colleague, Valentine. It's an honor to be uh, on the program with him. Uh, in addition to the brief comments that you made, introductory comments about me, I. Um, I'm a parent of uh, two graduates of public education and the grandfather of three uh, students who are currently enrolled in public education, um, and I'm a, white, a husband of a 33-year public school teacher and a product of public education, so that's, that's my footprint. Um, I was a faculty member at Howard University for 40, 39 years, including being chair of the political science department as well as associate provost. Um, so as you can see, public education is an important part of my life. I've always been an advocate ever since I came to Prince George's County in Maryland in 1973. So I've always been an advocate in the area of public education and look forward to this discussion. Um, equity has always been an important part of my uh, focus on public education, largely because it was those who came before me who addressed equity questions that gave me an opportunity to be what I am today. All
0: right. Uh, Thank you, uh, Dr. Thornton. Now let's talk to uh, uh, Delegate uh, Proctor. Uh, uh, Delegate Proctor, you want to tell us a little about uh, you and uh, your experience in education and your thoughts on on equity?
2: Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and hello to everybody else on the podcast today. Um, First of all, I want to say that I'm a lifelong resident of Prince George's County, I don't know that there are a lot of people that can claim that. Um, I'm a graduate of um, the the Prince George's County Public Schools and Bowie University. Of course, when I went to Bowie, I was learning to be a teacher. Um, We did not have all of the options that are there now. But after uh, graduating, I taught for... I actually taught for 18 years and then I became the court liaison for the school system. So a total of 34 years. Um, I also served as a trustee with the Prince George's community college. Uh, I am a 100% advocate for education. I think the, the, The the in-school learning, the distant learning, all of the options that we've been looking at recently have also put a light on some very specific concerns when you talk about equity in education. We have children right here in Southern Prince George's and in Charles County that had no broadband. They had no hotspots. They couldn't even use hotspots. The best they could do would be get somebody to drive them to the local library. So when you talk about educational equity, um, we know what that means. But with the hardship that the pandemic has brought, we've even seen more evidence of, children who don't have a fair chance or equal chance to get uh, get an education.
0: Well, that's uh, certainly well stated. Uh, and uh, you're right. You're a lifelong, lifetime member of the county. Uh, that's something that uh, I know Dr. Thornton uh, can't claim because I know he's from Alabama. And uh, I can't <laughs> claim it because I'm from D.C. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but uh, uh, Delegate Proctor has it. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, we now want to hear from uh, school board member uh, Curtis Valentine and uh, get his uh, introduction of his background and his uh, brief thoughts on this issue of education equity.
3: Thank you so much. And uh, it is an honor to, to join you all today. Uh, can you all hear me? Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Well, it's, it's not lost on me that we have four graduates of historically black colleges coming together to talk about education, public education, educational equity, because in my opinion, African Americans are the true founders of public education in this country. Uh, It goes back hundreds of years, and my family has been a part of that, uh, going back even to the uh, 18th century uh, with my ancestor, John Chavis, who was the first African American to attend college in this country, to my great-grandfather, Beverly Valentine, who along with my great grandmother Martha Valentine co founded a Rosenwald school in a small uh, building in Bracey, Virginia, or another relative, William Valentine, who started the Bordentown School, the only black boarding school north of the Mason Dixon. Uh, And so this has been part of me from before I was even thought of, but this is not unusual for us to come together and to have a discussion about where we want to go and how we get there, particularly with public education. So it's an honor to, to sit here with you all, to speak with you all, because I come to this work for the most part as a parent. Uh, I'm a graduate of Morehouse College and Harvard University, um, but my background was mostly in international affairs. So spent time on the continent of Africa, understanding uh, post-apartheid South Africa, but working in the education field there. And I returned to the U.S. looking to get into international affairs and politics. But when I had a son, um, and my wife and I were thinking about education, uh, I was sort of thrust into the conversation around educational equity in the state of Maryland. Like Dr. Thornton, I was smart enough to marry an educator. And so my wife is a 20-year educator in Prince George's County, a lifelong resident of Prince George's County, and the principal of the largest middle school in the district. And so in my role as a member of the Board of Education, Um, but also as an adjunct professor of education policy at the University of Maryland, so I was glad to be home, but also as uh, deputy director of the Reinventing America Schools Project um, out of the Progressive Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. I am coming at education from every side, but in the end, I come to this work as a parent, as a spouse of an educator who understands that we deserve uh, the same education as anyone in this country, regardless of our our background, our skin color, or our zip code. Thank you very much.
0: All right, it's very clear. We have three distinguished speakers on this very important issue of education equity. So Dr. Thornton, let's uh, just dive right into it. Uh, Why don't you set the scene for us? What are some of the historical moments in our county where uh, uh, education equity uh, first came into existence
1: and focus? Well, uh, one has to obviously go back to the period of um, enslavement in uh, the county. As you well know, Prince George's County had uh, a very high percentage of enslaved humans uh, as the source of its wealth. And those enslaved humans were were in fact people um, of color, of African ancestry. And uh, public education obviously was denied to them as a fundamental human um, right, Uh, basically denied to them largely until the turn of the century, when there was beginning to be some degree of state uh, support for public education for African-American children. Um, As late as the 1970s uh, in Prince George's County, public education, while still provided, was provided very unequally, differential teacher compensation, differential uh, um, schooling, uh, school buildings for children, Segregated schools essentially requiring the intervention of the federal government in order to protect the 14th Amendment uh, education rights of Black children, where we get the Vons case in 1972, which kicks off uh, the movement of children around by government in order to access uh, equal educational resources, a period of great racial turmoil in the county. Uh, violent turmoil, massive resistance to the Brown versus Board, Board of Education decision that you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the program. And it took us largely maybe 25 years to reach some degree of uh, understanding that that was not productive in the best interest of our county. And in 1998, uh, we did sign a consent decree, which ended federal court oversight of education in our county. And the consent decree signed by Judge Machetti. Uh, I was one of the signatories of that in 1998, and that ended federal court oversight. But one of the things that we found out uh, maybe seven or eight years before that was that we were not f- uh, funding equitably the education of all of our, our children. We were requiring them to pass high stage tests, Maryland School Performance Assessment. So thankfully the people of Maryland, Prince George's County, got about the business of addressing f- uh, financial and fiscal e- equity, and that's where the so-called Fortune Commission Uh, Our legislators, Delegate Proctor's uh, husband, and now her, and others got behind that very visionary effort. And we began the long process of trying to get fiscal and financial equity, because what we were doing was putting children in segregated communities, zip codes, and then denying them equal educational opportunity. To make a long story short, you know, the Thornton Commission, so-called Thornton Commission, did its work and issued this report in 2002. Maryland did what no other state had done, which was to address educational equity questions, legal issues in a legislative way. And that was a high point for the state of Maryland. And now the legislator, thanks to the leadership of people like Delegate Proctor and others, built upon that framework and did the blueprint, which takes us to another level of equity and funding. Uh, And that's kind of the context. It's a continuing journey. We call it the long day's journey into light. Uh, But I'm very proud of the people of Maryland uh, across the state, but especially in Prince George County, we have confronted this issue now. And I'll close with this statement. Now we have to show that we are mature enough, uh, that we are collegial enough, that we are able to work together so that we can take advantage of the resources that are
0: Right. Uh, And I'm going to ask uh, both uh, Delegate Proctor and uh, uh, Valentine, School Board Member Valentine, about their uh, thoughts on the historical underfunding of historically black uh, uh, elementary and public schools uh, in Prince George's County. Uh, I I guess I'd like to ask you first, uh, Delegate Proctor, uh, uh, has that the historical uh, uh, information, Uh, and reality of Prince George's County, does that have or has it had any effect on uh, your role as a legislator uh, in the House of Delegates?
2: I would say yes, absolutely. When we look back, as you say, historically, um, my children don't like to hear this because they think I'm talking about 200 years ago, not in my lifetime. But in Prince George's County, I did not, as a student, go to a school with an indoor bathroom until I hit ninth grade. Uh, in elementary school, we had two rooms. The children made the fire, pumped the water. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like uh, Prince George's County, I know, but that that is what happened. And we got the books. There was a a uh, white high school here in Upper Marlboro, Sasser. When they got through with the books, they gave them, sent them to us, and they already had their names stamped in it and all of that good stuff. So when I uh, graduated from high school, my goal was to be a teacher. My goal was to be able to come back and help other other students, other children in Prince George's County. And I was fortunate. Boys certainly lacked a lot of things, but they taught us to be teachers. And I am very, very pleased about that. I I see teachers now that those that want to do well, some of them haven't had the training, uh, we hear the conversations about these kids are so bad and these kids whatever but when when you look at it things could be so much different if the teachers had more experience more training more diversity training uh, it, it's a it's a process and right now we as, citizens of Prince George's and in the state of Maryland with the things that have been done and accomplished here in Annapolis this year, we are ready for a new day when all children, regardless of their zip code, regardless of skin color, regardless of anything, they will have an opportunity to get a quality education. Um, and when I look back, and, you know, we hear some of the young people, and they are quite right. There are so many things we need to do. We, we, we should be able to fix this or change that. And sometimes I have to stop and think, usually don't say anything. But we have made a lot of progress, but we have so far to go. But I think we have, we have a real launching point here today from the monies and the organizations that are sitting here. As we get ready to go back uh, with classroom learning, I think we're going to see marvelous things happen. I am, I am very convinced of that.
0: All right. Okay. And uh, Mr. Valentine, uh, of course, uh, you're um, much uh, younger than uh, I am, and uh, uh, you uh, may not have uh, witnessed uh, or or certainly experienced the things that Dr. Thornton was talking about in 1970 and the racial turmoil and even the uh, Brown decision, which is now 65 years old, and we're still wrestling with issues to get quality education and equity. What's your uh, thoughts about how the historical piece has uh, reflected on what you're trying to do in the school system today?
3: No, thank you. And uh, I would just confess, I'm a student of history. Um, I am someone, when I moved to uh, Prince George's County, um, one of the first books I read was uh, Black Power in the Suburbs by Valerie Johnson. Um, She did a longitudinal study from 1950 to 2000 on the history of, of uh, black power, P- political power, financial power here in Prince George's County, um, talked about you know, where this county was at the time when Delia Proctor uh, was you know um, living and, and uh, edu- being educated here. But also what happened in the 70s with white flight, in the 80s with people like uh, Dr. Thornton um, bringing together the Peril to Promise um, Task Force uh, and the 2000s, when, uh, when I arrived uh, to, to see a system um, that even though we had the largest, uh, you know, sort of greatest black middle class in the country, that we also had flight from our public schools. And so when I think about, you know, my work here uh, on the school board and a lot of the initiative that I've advocated for, particularly as it relates to uh, teacher diversity and parental engagement, um, I also I always come to that with uh, history on my mind, understanding that studying history in general is good. But understanding the, under, the, the history of the community in which you live is also important. So a book I'm reading now is, um, you know, Prince George's County before Emancipation, understanding the history of uh, this county, uh, this state, even before uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. And so I think it's important anyone who wants to work in our county, work in our school system, understand the history, but also sit at the feet of uh, leaders like Delegate Proctor and Dr. Thornton who can tell you the lessons learned, the best practices, um, and what uh, history has taught them about what's happening next. And so Dr. Thornton was one of the first who shared with me uh, the reports from the Peril of Promise. And I'm sitting here in my office now with about seven or eight editions of reports uh, that I've read, uh, understanding where the county was in the mid-80s uh, and where it expected to be by 2021. Now, are we where we expect to be? I don't think so. Um, but, I, but I do say that my children, who are both 12 and 10, are getting a quality education and will be prepared to enter to any, any college, university that they choose. Uh, but uh, we wouldn't be here, and we would not be where we, where we need to be But understand that history. And I also say, you know, again, I studied the history of African-Americans in this country and in the diaspora. And so understanding the role of, again, public education um, in places uh, like Prince George's County and the Ridley Rosenwald School, uh, which is where I first discovered uh, about Rosenwald schools and Prince George's County had, I think, three or four. Uh, But that school was a feeder into Uh, Bowie State University uh, now. Uh, And so there was a system that was created even as early as the 20s and 30s, uh, led by African Americans um, coming together to work hard to ensure that there was a pipeline into college, uh, an era where teachers and doctors and lawyers were all on the same level of respect in the community. And so I agree with um, Delegate Proctor uh, about the importance of educators. But I think we as a community can elevate the profession to where it was so that it is one that is highly regarded, highly sought after, highly compensated, but also uh, in the end ensures our students have a quality education.
0: All right. Uh, I want to tell my listeners, we're talking to Curtis uh, Valentine, who is a distinguished board member of the Prince George's County Public Schools and the Board of Education. Also, uh, Maryland uh, delegate, uh, distinguished uh, Susie Proctor. And then we have Dr. Alvin Thornton, former chair of the Prince George's County Public Schools, uh, and uh, the person who introduced me to politics. I want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Dr. Thornton, uh, I, I want to uh, get back to you uh, right now. And I, I remember the Thornton Commission uh, when that thing came into being, and I, and one of the uh, issues he was trying to address was the inequity in. Uh, disparities in financing. I remember that old case. Uh, I think it was uh, Rodriguez versus the uh, San Antonio uh, School Board that talked about uh, discrepancies there. So you you did some things back then, but now you have this 2021 blueprint of Maryland's future. Why was it uh, necessary uh, to uh, to have another look at that and? Uh, what are the uh, distinguishing features now of this uh, new legislation?
1: Well, it's it's. Uh, thank you for uh, uh, referencing this uh, San Antonio versus Rodriguez case, uh, because uh, as Delegate Proctor indicated and as my lived experience in Alabama, education is not a fundamental right in our country. So education is... Uh, a, a state phenomenon, and it's an extension of one's relationship with wealth. And so the question in the San Antonio versus Rodriguez case was whether or not states may provide education to children uh, as if, uh, in a way where the differences in their wealth re- results in educational differences in terms of the quality of education they receive. The Supreme Court said there's nothing wrong with, constitutionally wrong with states providing education to children in a manner where their wealth status difference resulted in unequal education. That was an historic case that came after Brown versus Board of Education, which meant that in Brown in 54, you could say that you could not separate black and white children. That's all Brown said. And so once the Supreme Court said you can't separate black and white children, the Supreme Court didn't say anything about whether you could separate rich and poor children. You see my point. Uh, and that is that continues today as a federal statute. So the word education is not in the federal constitution, by the way. So what we had to do in Prince George's County, you saw as Black people moved in, educational differences not didn't just become a Black-white issue as it was in the early days with Sister Proctor, Dulling Proctor. It became a, a, a difference between those who have and those who do not have, as it is now. Uh, and so what we had to do was begin to look at a state uh, solution. Look at the state constitution, uh, Article 8 of the state constitution, and the equal protection provision of the state constitution to protect our children. That's essentially what Thornton did. Uh, the Thornton formula began to look at uh, concentrated poverty among the children, those things that indicated wealth differences, and began to say that you must have um, multipliers, we call it. You must spend more on children who have less. That was a state thing. What the blueprint has done, which results in more state funding, thankfully to Sister Proctor, Delegate Proctor, and others, more state funding coming into school systems like Prince George's County, which is equalizing. And that is the Article 8 and the Equal Protection Clause of the Maryland Constitution. And I call that updating Brown. That's very significant, which means that you cannot build communities, right? Put them in low income housing. Uh, put them in uh, uh, massive garden apartments, concentrate low-income people, and then use property tax to educate their children, which inherently is going to be unequal. And that's what's so revolutionary about the blueprint, and that's why Maryland and Prince George's County should be so happy about the passage.
0: All right. uh, Let me ask a question. We'll take a break here in a minute, but uh, uh, Delegate uh, uh, Proctor... uh, I heard so much about uh, the difficulty of getting this uh, a blueprint from Maryland uh, passed. Uh, uh, I heard some complaints from uh, some of the uh, counties, some of the uh, cities, city of Baltimore, that they were concerned about the taxes coming up. Uh, the governor seemed to have uh, had a problem with the uh, funding. Why was it such difficulty in getting this legislation passed?
2: Well, that's a hard question. Um... Of course, our governor presented it as, um, I think it's, he called the Kerwin Commission, the tax hike commission. Um, the reality is that this particular Curwin Commission, where the funding is, when it's all said and done 10 years from now, it'll be a bit over $4 billion, but Statistically, when you look at the students that will be educated and get better jobs and ask for fewer um, uh, fewer entitlements from from the county or the state, this whole, we're going to lift this whole boat. But there are we, we have in education, the basic academics to deal with but we also have people who are teachers who are not quite ready to deal with our children Um, and so they have such horrible behavior problems. So these people need to have classroom management classes. Um, we also need to keep a strict eye on how these children are being placed. Regardless of what we say or what we think, placement happens. And so often our children get placed in the back of the room as such. So when you look at things like um, SROs, having police in in our classrooms, you will find Prince George's County, maybe Montgomery County, and a few others that are openly looking for help from the mental health profession. They're looking for more psychologists. They're looking for more counselors. Uh, they, are, they have their focus on, on helping the whole child. That's not true throughout Maryland. We had a a delegate come in last year, before last with a bill that he thought was great. And only to find out that in that school system, if a child is thought to have stolen some candy on the weekend, if the police may have had a conversation with him at the store, Anything would prompt them to immediately take those cho- that child out of the classroom and put him in a se- whole separate building until if and when he was found not guilty or charges dropped. And they, they were so proud of that program. Well, of course, we know who was in that program. And we have, we have so much of that going on right here now, in my opinion, in Charles County they are separating children in ways that to me we would see as just 100% detrimental and i don't mind saying that so in addition to the academics we have um, we have a lot of work to do as far as um, teacher preparation and learning to de- learning to teach the whole child if i'm if i'm making myself clear with that
0: very, very clear. This is such uh, interesting and important information we're hearing. Uh, I am going to take a, a pause uh, for our mid-show break, and I'll be right back. Former President Barack Obama once said, we are true to our creed when a little girl born into the bleakest poverty knows that she has the same chances to succeed as anyone else. But as we all know, Many students in underserved communities lack access to the key elements of a quality education, and that includes quality pre-trial school or preschool free, that includes quality preschool free of charge, challenging academic standards, and a well-resourced school. A 2011 Department of Education study found that 45% of high-poverty schools receive less state and local funding than was typical for other schools in their districts. If schools don't have the necessary funding, then how are they going to set our children up for success? In addition to funding, sometimes there are also racial inequities and structural barriers that hold students back. Here is a quick look at what a few other states are doing to strengthen their school systems when it comes to equity in education. Point number one, Illinois' governor recently signed the Education and Workforce Equity Act, which among many things, aims to support public schools and make a college education more affordable. It also helps invest in vocational training and expand the teacher workforce across the state. In Palm Beach County, Florida, the public school system unveiled a five-year plan last month to address racial achievement gap and disparities in discipline and enrollment in advanced courses. Point number three, Texas lawmakers are looking to require a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at every large public school district. Finally, In Virginia Beach, school board members are considering an equity policy where the goal is to be more inclusive and to create a barrier-free environment for all students, regardless of race, gender, disability, and other factors. These four examples underscore the work that's being done across the country to secure a more equitable school system for our children. The real work will be to see how efforts are sustained and how progress is measured. Now back to the panel discussion. Welcome back to Perspectives on Justice. I want to get uh, back to uh, Mr. Valentine uh, right down and ask whether he has any uh, reflections on the uh, legislation and any uh, issues that the uh, county school board would have with reference to this legislation.
3: Well, let, let me just say that, you know, again, we talked about the history of education um, and how it impacts us today. But if we go back to just the, you know, from our time in this country. Um, during slavery, uh, you could do anything you wanted to at the time. Um, your property, you could beat your property, you could rape your property, you could maim your property. But the one thing you couldn't do is educate. And. They understood the power of education even before it was legal to to to, to learn, and historians have said one of the reasons why uh, people in this country controlled education of African Americans because they knew the possibilities that education could give the enslaved. Because when you when you educate an African American, you cannot enslave an African you cannot enslave an African American. When you educate an African American, you release a level of imagination that cannot constrict them to a plantation or property particularly where at the time there weren't any fences and so we fast forward to this point people understand the power of all these young people who right now are being undereducated uh, educated in ways that isn't really fully reaching their potential educating them without all the resources but the power of an educated population is a threat to many people. And so we think about the opposition <laughs> to legislation that would ensure that everybody in the state of Maryland, a state, at least when I was on the governor's workforce investment board, that had a jobs gap. Gap meaning there are jobs in this state that go unfilled, particularly in cybersecurity, some in nursing. And the idea that a state that's trying to compete with other states in the region. That they would not put every dime possible to ensure that every single person in this state who wanted an education got one and was trained to be competitive—that someone would oppose that is one of the most illogical things that you ever heard of. Unless there was something more to it, and so I think about this legislation, I think about Delegate Proctor and and Doctor Thor and all all those who fought for it. You know, I understand. You know, that I'm someone who's sort of coming to this as a student of history. But we are living this right now. And my children will tell stories about this era in education, in the history of this country, in social justice, in the connection between education and justice and freedom, freedom to choose where you live, freedom to choose um, your own lifestyle, freedom to choose where you work without having to work someplace only because that's the only job you could get with education you were provided. And so, um, you know, I am concerned about those who would oppose us. I am concerned about, you know, the continuous fight that I present to my students at the University of Maryland that we have to continue to raise up a generation of advocates every generation to ensure that we have to, that we fight and we sustain this. And so I'm glad that we have this legislation, but the fight to sustain this and ensure that we are not having these same, that my children aren't having the same fights that I'm having in the same fights that Dr. Thornton is having is one that's incredibly important. Cause I don't know. And I would ask this question to Dr. Thornton, would you have ever thought that nearly 20 years after the Thornton commission that you would still have to fight for these things? And that's the question I have. And that's the question that's, that I keeps me up at night. Yeah,
0: that's a certainly a great question. And uh, Dr. Thornton, uh, what is the, uh, some of the, or the most important part of provisions of this, uh, 2021 Blueprint for Maryland. Tell our listeners what's the uh, the, uh, the the best uh, part of the uh, legislation.
1: Well, the legislation is centered around. By the way, it's it's named uh, like the Thornton Commission. It's the Kerwin Commission, the former president of the University of Maryland and chancellor of higher education and president of Ohio State, uh, a colleague that uh, that I met in 1985, actually coming into Prince George's County to help us. Uh, solve our desegregation issue. And that's a history that um, uh, makes me appreciate Dr. Kerwin a great deal. It's centered around five pillars. Uh, But the most important thing that it's centered around, right? that I found in 1999, when I left the Prince George County School Board as its chair and became chair of the Thornton Commission, I found that we were dividing our state into counties for purposes that had nothing to do with why the legislature created the counties. So you won't find counties mentioned in the Maryland constitution. The counties are created by the General Assembly to carry out administrative purposes that the General Assembly wants, including providing education. But counties are not supposed to be places where you can put lower income white children in Somerset County on the east and lower income white children in Allegheny County on the west and lower income black children in Baltimore City, and lower and higher income people in Prince George's and Montgomery, and give them different education. Constitution of Maryland does not permit that to happen. That happens because of politics. When we did the Thorne Commission, we had 50 pots in which education funding was put. And we reduced that, at least the legislature did, based upon our recommendations, down to four. So you would not, you would have a deep politicization of education and a statewide consensus. This is the most important thing. So what Kerwin does is that Kerwin says, which is the consensus that that the Cuthon Commission had, where it was supported by Republicans and Democrats. Uh, the Republican governors did not oppose it. The Democratic leaders in the legislature, uh, Barbara Hoffman and Pete Rawlings, and those people supported it just like Ferguson and and. And um, uh, 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 Speaker Jones did, did this year, so it, it says that education is a statewide right that should not be reduced to the county in which you live. And it said, look, we got f- we got five pillars that we have to look at. We have to change we have to change the curriculum and update it, so that children can have access to diverse curricula, uh, career technical education, collegiate pr- uh, preparation. We have to also address a major issue, which is the geometric concentration of poverty among children. 64% of children in our public school system are considered to be lower income children, free and reduced children. That's true, expanding throughout the state of Maryland. We have to have, as, as Delegate Proctor said, one of the pillars is providing professional development for our teachers not starting them off at $40,000 a year and asking them to teach our most precious thing, our children, but making sure that at a minimum, the starting salary will be $60,000 so that board member uh, Valentine and others can pay them that money. Addressing issues, um, as I said, curricular issues, expansion in concentrated poverty, special needs children, where we have children who come to us with disabilities disability, uh, special needs. And finally, children in our county, where we have a growing limited English proficiency population, Latino population. And what Kerwin does is it addresses those five pillars. And then it says that counties that cannot afford to pay for this, that there should be a state infusion of resources to make up for the wealth capacity or the funding capacity of the county. So it's a very revolutionary thing. The opposition you see, and I will shut up when I say this, the opposition you see is a political opposition based upon a refusal to share wealth with children. That's what that is. Because when you spend in the way that Kerwin does, thanks to our journal Assembly, it is redistributive to children who need, and unfortunately, there are many people who do not support that.
0: We we're talking with Dr. Alvin Thornton, former chair of the Prince George's County Public Schools uh, Board of Education, uh, Delegate uh, Elizabeth Susie Proctor, uh, and uh, Curtis Valentine, who is a board member of the Prince George's County Public Schools. I want to get back to uh, the Delegate uh, Proctor, uh, and I want to take off on something that Dr. Thornton has mentioned, that it's a political question for uh, people to be opposed to this new formula and new funding for education. And uh, uh, Delegate uh, Proctor, I think there are, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there are 24 uh, jurisdictions in Maryland, uh, 23 counties and maybe Baltimore City. I may be a little off with that, but I think that's somewhere correct. And I I guess uh, the question to you is that uh, uh, what were your observations about the Uh, Feelings and the uh, support or opposition in the general assembly from the various counties, uh, uh, rural, uh, urban, uh, large or whatever. What what, what was the uh, the the the, the moment there in terms of their discussions?
2: Well, first of all, I think there the the legislators that were voting against it, their opposition was very clear, very blatant. Uh, there, there were many other pieces of legislation that were similar, or, or were spin-offs. I will say, with with some of the things we were talking, pieces from uh, from the uh, Kerwin Commission. And when you went on the other side, they were going to vote 100 percent against anything and everything that said we're going to bring opportunities and chances for fairness, it was not something you had to look for. It was very clear, very blatant. They did not want the state state to spend another dime trying to, um, educate the, the children that, um, that we're, we're talking about today. Um, I would say a couple of things about Kerwin that I think will be very important. Um, And the first thing is accountability. This Kerwin Commission comes with an oversight committee to make sure that counties are, are actually providing the programs for the children. Uh, and that they have the various programs. There's one for struggling students. There's one for community schools, and as mentioned, uh, the career and, and tech preparation, the pathway to college. We're going to get we're going to get the data from all the counties. We're, we're going to see who's actually following the guidelines as they are set up in, in this. Uh, in this curriculum. Yes, we have a lot of opposition, and this this commission that has the job of uh, documenting accountability is gonna have um, their work cut out for them. That's how I see it.
0: All right, okay, and Mr. Valentine, uh, uh, can you tell us what you're hearing from parents? Uh, Are they uh, they happy with this? Uh, Do you see a number of The parents in Prince George's County uh, sending their children uh, off to uh, private schools or returning to the public school. What's what's your sense of where the public feels as a result of this current commission report?
3: Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, You know, most parents, including myself, uh, are not having you know dinner table conversations about uh, the current commission per se. I know Dr. Thornton and others have done a series of uh, conversations and. Um, you know, town halls around this and really to sort of build up support for it. But I don't think that Prince George's County was, you know, a a place that it needed to be, um, uh, you know, sold. I think there were places around the state that saw Prince George's County and Baltimore City and others disproportionately benefiting from it. So that's where really I think a lot of the advocacy took place. But I think overall when parents come to our school system, um, they come with a certain expectation. Uh, That one, their children are going to be safe, uh, first and foremost, that their children are going to uh, be respected. Educators are going to uh, hold their child to very high expectations academically, uh, but also push their child to be um, prepared for uh, the world around them. At the same time, teachers are expecting parents to uh, be engaged in their child's education um, and supplement their child's education wherever possible. To set expectations at home that they also bring to the school, and so overall, you know, I think parents uh, are choosing Prince George's County um, based on information. Now, the communication about our system uh, has always been a challenge, even before I joined the school board, and you know, when I taught, I'm the only member of the Board of Education now who has ever taught in Prince George's County public schools. I'm a middle school educator from Oxon Hill Middle School, but even then, you know, we always had this information, um, you know. Uh, gap as it relates to what people are hearing about our system and what's actually happening. And for those who are choosing our school system, um, they are seeing the benefits of all of our specialty programs, of our neighborhood schools, that high expectations, um, of our high school uh, academies, of all the options that we have from Montessori to French immersion to Spanish immersion to Chinese immersion um, to performing arts to vocational training um, to middle college at the community college, the only one in the state of Maryland that has it on the campus. Uh, and so we, are, we make history here. Um, we build homes in Clinton every year. Um, we send students off to the finest universities and colleges in the country, period. And so the more people understand about our system, I think the more are choosing it. I think right now is how do we communicate about where we are? Uh, and what uh, is a true story of Prince George's County. And in many ways, we don't shoot ourselves in the foot where we become our own worst enemy. And on the school board, I often talk to other colleagues from around the state, other school board members, and they say, Curtis, you know, we have some of the same issues you have in Prince George's County, but we don't go to the news about it. And we don't talk bad about ourselves. We just try to fix it amongst ourselves because oftentimes when you lose public opinion, it's hard to get it back. And so I moved here uh, out of choice, because I wanted to be around people who look like me, um, to be educated with people who look like me, and for my children um, to feel comfortable around the people they were educated with. And so I am, I am 100% confident my children will be ready for the world, that my wife and her, and her staff at, at Greenbelt Middle School, where she teaches, are preparing young people for the future. Um, but this is a part of the communication, and I'm glad that individuals like you, Judge, and others having shows like this that gets the word out about the truth about education in Maryland, but also about the truth about Prince George's County public schools.
0: All right, uh, we only have a, a, a few minutes uh, left. I want to ask Dr. Thornton about the uh, impact of the pandemic on uh, the gaps in education. Uh, has that had any impact?
1: Well, uh, certainly it has had an operational impact. That um, I'm glad to see the work of the Dr. Golson, uh, our county executive, our legislators, and our school board uh, working collaboratively. At the leadership level, to and that was the most important thing. I think the most important thing that was impressive since March of last year, when we had to shut down and go virtual, that the leadership across the the county, uh, the the legislators, the senators, delegates, the county executive, the school board, Dr. Goson's leadership, I think uh, our example of how we did that, um, and now with the with the school system continuing, it was exemplary in the metropolitan area. And I think that's something that people should celebrate. It's very difficult. Uh, Now, the one thing that the pandemic did though, (laughs) Judge William, it uh, exposed gaps that were already there in a graphic way in all areas of life, not only in public education, but in healthcare, uh, in rent uh, and ownership patterns, in business and ownership patterns and access to credit and those things. And so it, it exposed things that uh, we, we knew were there, right? Uh, but we now know that it's there in a graphic way. And so we now have with the uh, infusion of federal resources coming in, thanks to our federal leaders and our new president, with the infusion of state resource, resources, with the infusion of, of Kerwin money, we have an opportunity to address those gaps that the pandemic exposed. Uh, So it's almost like uh, the pandemic said, look, uh, you need Kerwin because I'm gonna show you something about yourself that you might not know. And I'm just asking, I'll leave with this final comment from from me. I'm asking leadership uh, in the county to develop a governing consensus umbrella over our children that is collegial, respectful, uh, that deals with the business is child-centered, it's not adult-centered, so that we can take advantage of the historic moment that we're in. All right. Uh,
0: we only have a couple minutes left, and I want to ask uh, uh, both uh, uh, Delegate Proctor uh, and Mr. Valentine uh, this uh, last question. Uh, to me, the bottom line is that it comes down to fairness. That equity in education comes down to fairness. And so I'd ask... Uh, Uh, both of you, uh, uh, very quickly, do you think we'll ever get fairness? We've been dealing with Brown for 65 years or more. Do you think we'll ever get fairness in uh, uh, education, equity, and fairness uh, in our county and state? First, uh, uh, Dr. Delegate Proctor first, and then Mr. Valentine.
2: I I guess the only thing I can say is, of course, we will hope that we get it. Um, I certainly don't expect to see it in my lifetime. Um, and I'm, unfortunately, it's something that I, we will continue to work forward, work toward as in the future. And absolutely, I, I don't know if we'll ever have what we actually need, which is complete fairness. And, and before, before we leave, I did want to close with one statement. We talked about the educators. We talked about the students. We didn't talk a lot about the parents. And I want to just say that in my opinion, I have a little saying. The school gives the student the recipe. The home makes the cake. And I think that is speaking to the parents. You've got to be ready to help those youngsters when whatever they need, whether it's homework, projects, whatever. That's a must. Well
0: said. Uh, Mr. Valentine, will we ever get complete fairness uh, in education equity?
3: I'll, I'll say this, and um, some will call me a young man, but I, I have an old soul. And I think some of my elders would say, uh, once you stop looking or stop assuming things, that help is coming, that's when... Entrepreneurship—that's when ingenuity, that's when innovation comes. And so I think about the founding of Howard University, Bowie State University, Morehouse College, and a lot of the schools that our ancestors created. They created it with the expectation of fairness, which I think I expect fairness. But the assumption that if it does not happen, what should we do in the meantime? And so I, I think we we fight for it. We ex, we we fight our butts off to get it, but we don't assume it's going to happen. And once we stop looking for or waiting for it to happen, other things happen in the meantime. We start creating our own. We start supporting one another. We start. We stop looking around to others to see if it's going to come, but we start moving in, in our own direction. So you think about those who have been successful in any industry. They did so because at one point in time, they said, you know what? There's no one coming to help me. And so I'm going to do this. Now, at the same time, we're talking about government and obviously the expectation that government is going to serve you. But if the history is any indication, this is like, you know, Charlie Brown and Lucy in the football. That, you know, you know, we keep expecting it to happen and we keep fighting for it, getting it, and then have to keep fighting for it generation after generation after generation. And so even at my young age, I am I'm of the I'm of the belief that I will fight for it until I, I can't breathe anymore. But at the same time. I will put in place structures that are not dependent on their resources, but also self-sufficient in the same way that the founders of Howard University, Morehouse College, Bowie State, and every HBCU, and almost every Rosenwald school did, understanding that if we wait for them or if we expect them to help us, that we will delay our own creation, our own innovation, and our own self-sufficiency as it relates to education. Because we know in the end... When it's all said and done, it's going to be up to us, the four of us and everyone who looks like us, to ensure that our babies get what they need.
0: All right. Uh, This has been a wonderful discussion on education equity. I want to thank uh, the three guests, uh, Dr. Alvin Thornton, uh, Delegate Susie Proctor and school board uh, rep and board member. Curtis Valentine, thank you all for being a part of Perspectives on Justice. And so we have it. Let me conclude by saying that this educational equity is a big issue, not just in Maryland, but across the country. Our speakers have focused on the historical underfunding of disadvantaged communities and also discussed the racial turmoil of the 1970s in Prince George's County. Fortunately, uh, we had first the Thornton Commission, uh, and now we have the Curvin Commission. While gaps still exist in our county and in our state in terms of education, we know that this new blueprint of 2021, which highlights the Curvin Commission, will go a long way toward fairness for disadvantaged communities. Thank you for joining with us today. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Alvin Thornton, Delegate Susie Proctor, and the Prince George's County Board of Education member, Curtis Valentine. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Perspectives on Justice. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes, be sure to go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams, Jr., Until next time.